Goose house. All right, a little bit late this morning, but we're getting it to you. Got some questions from you, so let's get to them. You are Locked On Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Cougs, daily podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Ainsworth, here to break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hater who came to step by, please be sure to hit subscribe down below. That we can get the latest on the Cougs into your newsfeed each and every day. We appreciate you making Locked On Cougs your first listen of the day, even if on this Friday morning it's coming to a little bit later than normal. Um, welcome back to the YouTube channel. It's good to see you again. I remember at 750 subscribers, we're giving something else away. We're giving stuff away. Every 250. Um, we're hoping to give away this uh Letterman jacket from the Keenan Robinson collection. It's got the, the Cougar, the Houston Cougar on the back, it says for the city. It's a really, really cool thing, uh, designed by Houston Cougar alum Galen Robinson, the godfather of Houston uh, Cougar basketball in a lot of ways. You know, if it's not Kelvin Sampson, um, and we're going to get into more about why we're recording on a Friday morning later. But thank you all for tuning in a little bit later this morning. Um, we got some questions in a mailbag format to break down for everyone. Um, had more than just six questions submitted. Um, so we're going to keep a couple in the bank for later topics. Um, but there were like a, clearly themes. And so I picked a couple that uh, kind of struck on some of the same themes. Um, I'm going to try and do two per segment. So the first one, we've got a pair of football questions, kind of. I guess one could also be a basketball question. Um, second one, we got a couple basketball questions. And last one. Um, it's just kind of stuff thrown together there at the end because uh, it just I don't know how they fit together well. Um, so let's get right into it. The first question from uh, you who's house on Twitter. Um, and, I, you know, it's you who, but it's you age. So it's, anyway, on Twitter asked about the latest on the offensive coordinator. And I couldn't tell based on that specific question what exactly he was referencing. Um, I guess they were referencing it. Um, but if it was talking about like current guys on staff or if they need to bring one in or whatever. And I think, first of all, I think that the coaching staff feels set. They're getting ready for spring practice. Spring practices uh, start pretty soon. I think the schedule just came out. I'll make sure I got my phone on that right. The schedule just came out uh, this week and it looks like they start practice on February 28th, right? Um, so that's just around the corner, right? Uh, end of the month and just a couple weeks at this point because February is short. And and they're not bringing in people to help on staff right now. Now, what I will say is Houston looks like they're going to continue to run somewhat of an awkward two-coordinator format, a passing game coordinator, run game coordinator. And I think that confuses a lot of people. But what's happening in the headsets there is Dana, as the head coach and offensive-minded guy, is going to say, hey, what's your run here? What's your pass here? So every single play, both guys are dialing up a run or a pass ready to go based on the situation. And then Dana's asking for whichever one he wants, and that's what they run, okay? So in some ways, it might feel like Dana's calling stuff. In some ways, it might feel like Nugavi's calling stuff. In some ways, it might feel like Shannon Dawson's calling stuff. Um, what I don't think is going to happen is Dekeel Shorts, who is a young wide receiver coach in the staff, he's probably the only offensive coach I could see not calling stuff, not because I don't think he's capable. He's super, super young, played for Dana at West Virginia, played a little bit hot second for the Buffalo Bills. Um, I, I guess technically... He's on the staff as well. I just don't know if he's quite like, – he doesn't have coordinator in his title. Most other offensive guys seem to have something like that in their title on staff. So I 
I could see Dekeel Schwartz turning into a great coach one day and coaching offensive coordinator. Receivers coach, I think, in the modern era of football do make good coordinators, but that's later. Um, so as I look at the staff right now, uh, Shannon Dawson has been the offensive coordinator s- straight up at Division Three Millsaps, Stephen of Austin, West Virginia, and Southern Miss, right? So, like, got experience. Uh, Iman Yagavi, right, has been more, like, fast-tracked along the way here. We did a whole episode segment back when he got hired about the transition he's got. But his most recent stop was as the um, run game coordinator and running backs coach at Tulane. Uh, sorry, the offensive line coach and run game coordinator at Tulane, serving the same role at Houston. But Houston's obviously a step up in uh, not division, but in conference, moving in the Power Five, right? And so his previous stops were an offensive line coach at Georgia State. But I think more notably to this role, he transitioned from being the offensive line coach at Louisiana Monroe in his first year to being the offensive coordinator in his last uh, couple years there. And in doing that, the interesting thing I think you see here is both uh, coordinator Dawson and coordinator Nigavi operate in what's 11 and 12 personnel, meaning uh, the first digit, one, is the running backs on the field, and then one or two tight ends, right? 11 is one tight end, 12 is two tight ends. Um, And then you're hoping there that your speed of the receivers kind of takes the air off the top, and opens up stuff underneath. Um, what I appreciate about that is there's some synch- uh, synchronized aspects of that. Um, people will probably be commenting, like, that seems like a long process. Have Dana say what play he wants, and then them call the play, and then Dana echoes the play into the field or whatever. But while that does, you probably do get, especially in the first couple games of the year, some sort of a penalty or two on getting the play in on time. People have that problem with Dana anyway. So, you know, if Dana's at all indecisive, that could slow the whole process down worth pointing out that one of Nagavi's like strengths at Tulane and Georgia state and Louisiana Monroe. And for what it's worth at McNeese state before that um, was that he's a low penalty offensive line coach, both in the run game and the pass game, his offensive linemen typically are at the bottom end in a good way, like a golf score on penalties. And so I think that that's a good move because Houston was the most penalized team in college football for the majority of last season. I guess I don't know after the Bulls, because I up until Houston was done playing, they were. Something else could have happened after the Bulls season. Uh, but or after they were done playing their Bulls season. Nugavi, I think, too, um, in his fast track, because he, again, got up to be OC at Louisiana Monroe. They cleared house, and he kind of started back over at uh, Georgia State. And that was just in 2021, right? He's going to be moving up the charts right really fast. I could see if Houston goes into more traditional run stuff or goes Donovan Smith, Lucas Coley routes where they're suddenly like up-tempo running quarterback, zone read stuff, zone read concepts off the RPO stuff, all those kinds of things. As a run game coordinator, I could see him very quickly having an elevated role even higher. Um, I'm a big fan of this guy. Now, it's not to say I was not a fan of Brandon Jones. His guys did commit a lot of penalties, but I don't think that's always necessarily on him. Um, I, I just could see... Nigavi, the Katie native. I, I could see this whole thing working out in a good, good way. And that's my thought there. I, if this question was about offensive coordinators coming in, I don't see it happening. I would have liked Kellen Moore. Uh, I know that he got just got fired by the Dallas Cowboys. Um, I, I could see his offense working really well at the college level. And I would have liked it if that's not, I don't think what this is asking. The second football-ish question I'm going to hit really qu- quickly, um, because I imagine we do some more episodes on it later, is there were multiple questions about uh, – the big 12 and changing landscapes. But Christy from San Antonio asked specifically about how does the big 12 landscape change again with uh, Texas and Oklahoma officially leaving in 2024? How does that, you know, 
what does it do for Houston? I think was the, the phrasing. Um, what it does is it means that if we're going to exact revenge on the burn orange longhorns, we're going to have to do it in a year. Uh, and, and I don't mean to say that like, that's like the number one overall goal of joining the big 12. But part of the thing about joining the big 12 was these, or what were these rivalries, right? And this like in-state thing. We're playing almost every game in the state of Texas this season. That's a big deal, <laughs> right? Like that's exciting. Um, that's water cooler talk for you and your buddies at work. The only time we get to play Texas in a conference setting then becomes this fall. Um, I don't think I'm worried about them. The big picture of recruiting things. If a kid wanted to go to the SEC, they were already not coming to Houston. Um, I think the other thing in this is that like Houston's recruiting is going to be focused on the city of Houston. And so that doesn't change a whole lot with Texas and Oklahoma going to the US, going to the SEC. Because if they want to go to the SEC out of the city of Houston, they were already going to go to the SEC out of the city of Houston, right? They were going to go to AM or LSU or wherever, right? Um, what I what I do think it shifts though is I don't know the numbers yet, and I'm not a great number. I teach history, not math. Um, but I do think power brands, Texas and Oklahoma, I mean, Texas has their own TV network, right? Leaving the Big 12 for the SEC will probably shift what that dollar amount is in the big in Houston going to big 12 on the like length of the TV contracts, the big 12 strikes. I do think it's going to be so much more than we had in the American that it might not be something we notice a whole lot, right? Like we're going up anyway. <laughs> um, but I think like Oklahoma state or Kansas state or Baylor or tech, they might feel it more. Now that could be an advantage to us, right? It's all new money. <laughs> so that, that could be a big deal. Um, we're putting all of it into facilities and whatever anyway, but I, that's where I could see the big picture thing shaping. But as far as how that ties to Houston, it's all more than anything we were getting close to in the American Athletic Conference. I mean, you're getting uh, roughly per year in the American Athletic Conference what a head coach gets at Texas or Oklahoma, right? <laughs> like, like that's that's the kind of money we're talking about boosting up and heading to the Big 12. And those contracts are set. Uh, I just, I, I wonder if like, the actual percentage of dollars, those kind of things will shift a little bit as the actual dollars change. Um, the last thing I'll say, and then I, I, on, on the big 12 and the shifting, because I do think we'll talk about that a lot more of the course, of the spring and spring football and stuff is that I wonder if what happens next is further expansion of the big 12, obviously with Texas and Oklahoma leaving the big 12 is actually at 12 teams. And that's kind of nice, but I wonder if they're going to kind of become more of a national conference and go more coast to coast with it. Um, I've said before, I don't know that West Virginia is a forever player in this conference. They just joined in the 2010s. Um, and frankly, they were former Big East school looking to get, I could see them being an ACC school. What I will say on that, though, is that it's nice to have them in that region, but we just added Cincinnati in that region, right? I could see the Big 12 moving west and going like Colorado, Utah. I mean, go get Coach Prime, right? We know he loves Dallas. We know he loves DFW. And we know, frankly, that he's going to elevate that program. Let's go get him, right? I could see the Big 12 moving into Arizona as the Pac-12 falls apart, right? And I could see taking all four and having a mega super conference, right? And going almost coast to coast. Really. I guess Arizona's not technically West Coast, so it's definitely got a West Coast vibe. And going from Cincinnati, West Virginia, UCF, all the way panning across, Um and frankly, that's a big, big recruiting tool because you can get kids from all over. And it's a big TV tool because suddenly people in Arizona, the two major schools in the state, would be in the Big 12 and need the Big 12 network and so on and so forth, right? Um, 
that's where I could see the Big 12 going. How that pertains to Houston would be, I'm sure they'd split that up into regions. And I would hope our region continues to have the state of Texas in it because that's the positive I see in this whole thing. Now, before we get into more questions, we do need to talk about our buddies and FanDuel because it's Super Bowl weekend. It is Super Bowl weekend, and we are really excited to talk about our sports betting partner at Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America. It's FanDuel. If you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. Download FanDuel now so you can bet on Super Bowl 57 with a no sweat first bet. You get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to who will score the first touchdown. And I've been saying, because Jalen Hurts is from Channelview, and we want to make sure we rep Houston as well as we can, um, that as long as the spread is below two to take the Eagles. It's more or less a pick and I think the Eagles win. Um, and again, that could be my own, he's from Houston bias, but, you know, um, it's still below two. It's still set at Philly at one and a half. I'm saying still take it. As far as more nuanced bets I'm looking I've been saying take Dallas Goddard. Y'all bet that down towards now and just plus 175 to score a touchdown. Interesting score I saw. The Philadelphia defense is at plus 750 to score a touchdown. Um, Patrick Mahomes will probably be on the run on a bum ankle. Not quite as bum as it was a couple weeks ago, but he'll be flying around. We know they like to whip the ball around and pass the ball a lot. Um, we also know that Philadelphia's got a great defense. And... I wonder if at plus 70 to score, 750 to score, if the Philadelphia defense is worth the bet. <laughs> um, I think that that might be worth putting some money down if you're a gambler. Um, no pun intended. And I think that's a really interesting look at like Philadelphia's defense is better score, better odds to score than some guys' offensive players. Um, so I'd put plus 750 down on them just a little bit, got to see if it works out. Right. The other thing, um, that was interesting is obviously I'm fairly high on Goddard and I like the way Jalen Hurts uses his tight ends. He's at plus 800 to have the most receiving yards in the game. And I can see a world where that happens much like I see a world where Philadelphia's defense scores. And so that's my recommendation there as well. I'm telling you to do it at FanDuel. FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Best of all, you can p- get paid for your winnings instantly. Join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on. Game, claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's fanduel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right. In uh, other news, we had a couple of, we'll say, basketball related questions. Um, first, from Pete Mays on Facebook. He asked about an outlook at the rest of American Athletic Conference play. We've got, what is this? Uh, SMU Thursday. Six more conference games. Again, math. I teach history. Um, six more conference games. Then we're done with regular season play in the American Athletic Conference forever. Right? Um, then the American Athletic Conference tournament. And then we're done with basketball in the American Athletic Conference forever. I see Houston going at least 5-1 and one down the stretch here. Um, SMU on Thursday. There's a rivalry there. A little, bit, a little bit of hostile. But Houston's a much better basketball team. Memphis on the 19th. Right? The Sunday after. Uh, then Tulane at home. We saw what Houston did the second half to Tulane in Tulane. So, you know, uh, East Carolina, uh, I guess it's there, but they're having a really tough year. Only a couple wins in conference. Wichita State at home. Again, we saw what that one looked like up there. Second half explosion from Houston. Uh, you know, hopefully play better at home. Um, and then Memphis on the road. Now, if we played Memphis on the road in the first matchup, I'd probably be worried about it less, but I almost worry that the Memphis matchup in Memphis is too late 
because focuses could easily be elsewhere. Kids are getting ready for the American Athletic Conference tournament. Houston could have the number one team in the tournament locked up um, and kind of be eyeballing, you know, the big NCAA tournament and getting a one seed. I don't think a loss at Memphis or versus Memphis in the home game is necessarily enough to throw Houston off of a one line. Um, Joe Lenardi himself did say that he thinks Memphis is a tournament team in the broadcast just a couple weeks ago. But I do, that's a, that's a good athletic basketball team. Um, it's probably the only team in the conference that can keep up with athletically the Houston Cougars. I also, I think playing there in our last game in the American Athletic Conference is really, really tough because Memphis, A, as a school, is super bitter. They're not moving to the Big 12, right? They also want to move in the Power 5. They also see themselves as a player in that kind of way. Um, they're not quite SEC caliber, right? They're not going to leap from the American to the SEC. But the Big 12 would have been a natural place for them, and they didn't get the bid. Uh, Penny Hardaway is creating a big basketball program. They have one of the best recruiting classes in basketball in the class of 2023, right? Um, and they feel kind of snubbed. I can see the crowd going crazy for all of that. Second, we've seen Houston come out to slow starts, uh, home and road. And coming out to a slow start in Memphis has proven really, really tough for people to come back from. The way to beat Memphis is to get up on them early, and let, they'll chip away over the course of the game. But then you're just in a, you know, a street race. You're going back and forth, basket, 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 super, super fast. It's a high-scoring game every time you play Memphis. Um, I I worry about that one. So if I were a gambler, I'd say five and one to give myself some room because I'm worried enough. I don't think it's a loss on the schedule. It's certainly not a scheduled loss, but. You play Wichita State three days before, and then you have to go on the road to go play them. That's tough. And um, again, I think Houston can and should win. If I'm trying to be realistic with you, though, Pete, like that's the loss I could see coming. I think Houston wins the American Athletic Conference tournament. Uh, it's in Fort Worth at Dickey's Arena. Um, good, good fun and time there. And, I, you know, Houston's already played well there and won St. Mary's win. I think got a little scrappy down the stretch, but St. Mary's does that to people just ask Gonzaga. And I also, for what it's worth, um, I don't know. I think that they'll play better against all these teams the second and third time. We saw that happening at Temple, right? The second time Houston played Temple, they looked a lot better. So that happening against Tulsa, the second time Houston played Tulsa, they came out of the gate a lot better, right? Or I guess initially it was 10 9 or something, and then poof, right? Um, the second time through, third time through playing these teams, I think will be a lot better. And then we get into March, and I'll preview stuff as we get to March and see matchups, but. I'm feeling good about it. <laughs> All right. So that's that's where that is. And that's how I'm feeling on that one. Um, the second basketball specific question I got was from Sparkle. <laughs> Sparkle Glass Scanner helps us out. Uh, they keep my computer screen clean. Then I have all kinds of things clean your monitor and glass over your home uh, and a U of H brand at that. Um, asked about who my favorite glass cleaner was. Um, and if you're new to basketball, Glass cleaning is cleaning, they're getting rebounds because you're taking them off of the backboard, which is made out of glass. Um, and I'm going to say Juwan Roberts, and I think that's a fairly obvious answer to a lot of people. Uh, Juwan Roberts, though, is a redshirt sophomore, I guess, technically, but it's his fourth year in college. Uh, he was redshirted a year. He had the COVID year. Um, and so he's kind of a veteran without a whole lot of veteran experience. Um, and I think it shows up. I, I think the big thing for me in watching him, though, is how much he's grown in the first two years of playing for the University of Houston. He had one start between two seasons. Um, he was playing 10 minutes a game his freshman year and just about 16 minutes a game his sophomore or his uh, his non-COVID year. I guess so his COVID year was 10 minutes. His non-COVID freshman year was about 15 minutes. 
um, before this season, his highs were he had uh, nine points and 13 rebounds against Alabama as a freshman after the redshirt year. He had 10 points and 13 rebounds against Tulane the same year. Um, and the year before, in the COVID season, his only game with double-digit rebounds was a 10-point, 11-rebound outing against Lady of the Lake, which I had to check is a real place, is a real college, but is not a Division One college, right? So, like, the growth in him from that to being such an integral part and key part, I talked in every basketball recap about the role he plays. And frankly, when he's been in foul trouble is when the Houston Cougars have been in trouble, right? Like, the Temple game where he was in foul trouble was the game that Temple beat Houston, right? Like, that's... That's become the balance. Um, the growth of him to such an important player makes him my favorite because it's so, so clear that, A, Kellen Sampson, assistant coach Kellen Sampson, has done such incredible work with him. And, B, it's only up from here. He's got two more years of college. Um, I, he is a long-armed 6'8 or so. I wonder what his pro prospects are. Um, my question back and forth on Twitter, and if you've got comments, put them in the comments below, can he be like a chuck wagon type guy? Can he be an undersized center that just relies on effort for a few seasons at, at the next level? Or is he bound for a, a G League European kind of deal? I don't know. He's a phenomenal basketball player to watch because it's such high effort all the time. And that makes him my favorite. All right. So in the last segment here, I got kind of a hodgepodge of questions. Um, one asked me, uh, and this was, uh, who was this was Blake. Uh, Blake from Clear Lake? That sounds made up. Tell me if it's not made up. Blake from Clear Lake. But ask me about 2024 recruiting. Now, I've talked before about Mercy Miller and 2024 basketball recruiting. But because of the tenor of the world, I, I think this meant football. And so I did a little bit diving into football recruiting. And I looked at who in 2024 uh, the Houston Cougars are targeting and those kinds of things. We talked a little bit about Zion Taylor, a big rush end. Um, he might be more of a three technique by the time he gets to Houston. Um, he's from nearby Pearland. Um. And he's exciting to have. It's good to have local kids. He's a, a highly touted kid. He's the first commit from the 2024 class. Everything is Elsa's offers, and they got a lot of offers out there. We'll see who shows up at the spring game and those kinds of things. Um, I wonder if – well, I actually can't tell based on this question if the thought was actually transfer portal in the next window. Um, I think Houston gets some lime in the next window, but we'll see. Um, as, look, as far as looking at some of the offers in the 2024 high school class, I think what's interesting about looking at this class is – we all have circled the big LSU non-conference game in 2027, right? That's a big, big fun one in 2027, a natural rivalry there. People from the city of Houston, there's a lot of LSU, Louisiana folks here, and there's a natural rivalry there. Um, 2024 recruits will be in their third year of college in that season. So in a lot of ways, this recruiting cycle is building towards being able to win that game, right? That's your junior class, your redshirt sophomore class that year. Um, most exciting kid, and I am an offensive guy, admittedly, is Micah Hudson, a five-star receiver from uh, Temple Lake, uh, from Lake Hudson in Temple. Um, or sorry, Lake Belton in Temple. Um, really, really fun prospect. Um, he's big, strong, fast, in and out of routes well, and frankly, him with like Michaela Harrison Pilot would be a fun, fun pairing for a quarterback, and it'd probably be a really attractive pairing for a quarterback in the modern transfer portal window. In that instance, I think Houston is developing kind of this like wide receiver identity across college football. I think it's going to be really, really big in the Big 12. And it'll be interesting to see how that happens, how that plays out. But if we can start landing five-star wideouts, speed speed comes in bunches. I can see it all coming together at once. 
The other thing I think is really exciting is that there are five 2024 O-linemen that we've offered that are four stars or better that are apparently seriously considering Houston. Um, Michael Uri from Copper's Cove is 6'7", 290. Blake Ivey from Clear Lake is 6'4", 275. Blake Frazier from Austin Vandergrift is 6'5", 260. Ori Williams from San Marcos is 6'7", 320. That's a big old guy. And Daniel Cruz is 6'4", 295 from North Richland Hills in the DFW area. Each of those guys, I think, would be a starter in that 2027 LSU game, I think, that we're talking about, right? And so if you could get all five of those guys in your 2024 class, you're recruiting a full offensive line of four-star or better kids to go play LSU in the fall of 2027, right? That's that's really exciting to me. I don't know that they make a lot of impact between now and then, right? They obviously got to play a senior high school and then come to campus and then white room, grow, et cetera, right? Um, I do think, though, that that's a really, really good group of kids. And it's not the only group of kids. There are a couple of the three stars and, and stuff across the, the spectrum there. Those are the five that caught my eyes. Admittedly, because of the stars, you can go watch tape and you see guys like Ori Williams at 6'7", 320 at San Marcos, just eating poor country kids alive, right? Just eating, eating, eating. Um, Blake Frazier at Vandergriff is 6'5", 260. And <laughs> so he looked really athletic playing tackle for them. Um, I have to admit though, it's because the rest of their offensive line at Vandergriff was huge. And so maybe not quite the same when he grows into being the same. He's like almost looks slender at 6'5", 260 relative to some of those guys. Um, so we'll see. The other five star on the list though was on the defensive side of the board. Um, his name's Kobe Black. He is uh six foot one ninety from Waco Conley. Um, and I have to admit, I don't think I saw a ball caught on him in any of the video I watched on this kid. He's really, really athletic and talented. Uh, you know, we have a nose tackle, Eddie Perry, Eddie Pierre Luis. Um, he's from Tampa Bay, Florida. Um, and we're going branching out to Tampa and Florida and Georgia and stuff like that for our D lineman, which is fun. This kid's 6'4, 320. I don't know a lot about the division of football he's playing out in Florida. I don't know a whole lot about Florida football, high school football, that is. I will say 6'4, 320 translates. <laughs> like that, that, that tracks, that'll be okay. Um, last question was from John Wood of Cyprus. He asked once, you know, cause on Thursday night, I posted this episode is going to be coming out a little bit later. He asked just for a little bit more about what I do and what I, you know, why things would be late and just kind of wants to get to know me a little bit. I do coach and teach. I teach middle school history. I coach high school basketball and help out with football and stuff like that in the fall, middle school football, high school football. Um, I played division three football once upon a time. And uh, this weekend, my high school basketball team, my coach, I'm like an assistant guy, I guess I'm not the head coach, but we uh, we played a handful of guys from the city of Houston. It's end of season conference basketball tournament. Um, and so there's games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, more or less all day. It's kind of chaos. And um, let me tell you, it's a private school league and it's the end of the season tournament. Like the winners are equivalent of a state champion or whatever. And there are some private school kids from Houston that can hoop <laughs> and um and let me tell you that one of them already has coach sampson's radar but there's a couple guys i could see making an impact at the division one level um montana wheeler at a houston christian is a 2025 point guard his brother severe wheeler also went to houston christian and is now at kentucky um he's been in and out of the starting lineup lately he did start to start the season and started a lot of games for them last season Montana Wheeler is incredibly fast <laughs> to see in person. Oh my God, he's fast. Um, what's the line from longest show? So fast he makes fast people look not fast. Yeah, that's Montana Wheeler. Um, 
Justin Begg is a junior. Um, he beat us in the final a year ago with a game winner that uh, still hurts my heartstrings a little bit. But in getting past that, he he continues to have like crazy great control of basketball games. Obviously, this is like private school football in the state of Texas. So like it'll be interesting to see how he, he ramps things up. Uh, Montana, Montana and Justin both have D1 offers. Um, I think the deal with Justin is he doesn't quite have that speed Montana has, and he's a year older, but he's a bigger kid. He's a bigger guard and probably more built for a Division One as far as his size goes. But the the player of the tournament so far is John Williams Adams. Uh, sorry, uh, let me make sure I got that first name right. But Williams Adams at St. John's. Oh, my God. This kid, is, uh, Sebastian Williams Adams from St. John's. That's where the John came from. There you go. Um, oh, my God, this kid. 2025. Uh, he is six seven and change. He brings the ball up. He shoots threes. He had a half court shot in their opening round game. Um, put up fifty. Um, he is a tremendous three level score at six seven at Houston St. John's, reminiscent of another pro basketball player to come through St. John's in uh, Justice Winslow. Now he's not quite the athlete Justice Winslow was. But, oh, my God, he's a really good basketball player. Sebastian uh, Williams-Adams is really, really impressed by him. Didn't, you know, really, really impressed by him. Um, And he's just a sophomore. Wild. (laughs) Um, So coaching against this kind of talent is how I'm spending my weekend. (laughs) So, John Woods, it's been a tough weekend, to say the least. Um, But and then on the side, I also, also, during the day, will coach middle school history, a little bit of U.S. history, eighth grade China's, eighth grade history is more like a, Chinese or Eastern history and stuff like that. Your world history is fun, fun times for me. Oh, and that's my dog shaking around. Thank you all so much for tuning in to Lockdown Cougs today. If you got more questions about any of that or uh, want to talk Houston Cougars basketball, football, uh, we can talk about baseball happening this spring, the Rockets, Astros, Texans, whatever you got, find me at Paynesworth512, P A I N S W O R T H 512 on Twitter, Instagram, and all social media handles. Uh, Make sure you hit subscribe down below. If you're looking for a second or at this point, it might be third listen of the day. Please go check out Locked On College Basketball. Um, they're doing a great, great job covering pro coup content with the national basketball landscape. Also, Locked On Big 12 is doing a lot of work on what's happening with the Houston with the Houston Cougars entering the Big 12, but also with Texas and Oklahoma leaving it. So if you're into that vibe of the Big 12 as well, they're covering that at a really, really great, great way. So make sure you go check that out. Thank you all so much. Locked On Cougs, a member of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Go Cougs.